You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That's right. Recording is in progress. We're about to record the heck out of this. Happy Labor Day. Locked On Horn Frogs. Hope you're enjoying a day off work. If you're not off work, I'm sorry. Um, your company is obviously not American, but we don't have to discuss that. Or maybe that might actually be very American. Anyway, never mind. Let's get to talking to Matt Jennings about sports and specifically TCU football. Before we do that, though, everybody say thank you to Matt. Today he was on Twitter, just kind of goofing around. He uh, He's a family man. He only gets on Twitter like once a week and sort of blesses us with takes. But he tweeted something about like, hey, I'd love TCU to – team up with home field apparel which is uh if you don't know a really good brand of clothing they do t-shirts they do hoodies etc for different colleges and then jeremiah donati athletic director came out later today and said it's in the works matt so soon we'll be able to blow all our hard-earned bunny on uh some tcu home field apparel gear gear yeah man it's gonna be great i was not expecting that to be the response. I didn't know I wielded this kind of influence. I don't think I actually do, but maybe I do. And if so, I need to learn how to use it responsibly and not for evil. Um, Cause it's going to be really tempting to just, mm-hmm. or really what it comes down to is what we learned is that Jeremiah Donati reads and, and, and cares about what I have to tweet far more than say like Gary Patterson does. <laughs> Did Gary block you? Are you blocked by Gary or no? No, I'm not blocked. I was okay. um, I was un, I was followed for a time and then I was unfollowed. I believe I have been refollowed. Yes. You follow each other. So okay. yeah. I'm, That's I'm, good. I'm not in the doghouse. I have I have many friends who who are blocked and um, RIP to them and their probably better Twitter experience. Hmm. Yeah, I have friends that might have some uh, good DMs from him that could pay off one day. But anyway, um, yeah, Gary Gary will get after people a little bit sometimes if he doesn't like what they tweet. But that's neither here nor there. TCU football, they got a victory over Duquesne. Matt, did you watch any of the second half of that game uh, with the 12-minute quarters? I watched until – I watched until so I was we were talking about this on Twitter. I, I had I had it on the primary screen. I had it on my TV, and then I had Georgia Clemson on my laptop. And then once Matthew Downing came in, I switched it, and I put Georgia <laughs> Clemson on the on the TV, and I put TCU Duquesne on the laptop. And um, that was probably the right choice. Although Georgia Clemson wasn't much more interesting. It was really interesting if you like love defensive slugfest with no offensive touchdowns scored um if you're into that sort of thing um no yeah i watched i watched until downing came in and then i kind of just like i had it on in the background and was doing other stuff um it i I, it was exactly what we would have expected from the game um didn't get shown anything more than because because you know what gary would say if i if i show duquesne then i'm showing cal you know (laughs) That's true, and uh, they did what they had to do. I will say, I guess one encouraging thing, and we'll talk about if we learned anything later, but 
I, I have seen games against FCS opponents where they did not look like they were overwhelmingly better than the other team. And that was definitely the case on Saturday. They won 45 to three. Um, let, let's talk Max Duggan. So he was 14 to 19, 207 yards, one touchdown, one interception, appeared to be in a pretty good rhythm. Obviously, uh, and, you know, the offense was humming fairly well. Did you come away from that performance, Matt, thinking, hey, here's a guy that looks improved, looks more confident, or, or are you tempering any expectations from uh, week one against Duquesne? I, you know, I think he he definitely, he was as efficient as you could have asked for, unless you wanted him to go, you know, uh, you know, go perfect with no incompletions. I think 14 to 19 is great. Through you know, through a touchdown, was efficient. His only incompletions for the night really were obviously the interception was 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 a poor decision, didn't look off the safety the way he should have. Um, but um, the only other incompletions were just overthrows on deep routes, um, and they kept the routes that he was throwing fairly simple, with the exception of they had the um, the corner route to Tay Barber where like they had the motion of the offense all go to the left and then they threw back to the right. That was something a little bit different, but other than that, they were mostly throwing. They're mostly throwing fades pretty much the whole game just because they had the the athlete advantage there. Mm-hmm. And um, either it was complete for a nice gain or it was a, it was an overthrow. And um, so I'll, I'll have more to learn about what he is and, and how he's progressed once he's he's playing against some competition where they do some they they diversify the play calling a little bit. But I think he did everything that you could have asked him during that time he didn't get too beat up running the ball either. And I think that's a, that's a crucial aspect of his game, obviously as well. I think we'll have a, a, a better picture of, of his ceiling this season when he's really able to, um, to utilize the full range of what he can do in both those parts of the game. But in terms of, yes, for playing Duquesne and for a really vanilla play calling game, I thought it looked great um, with the exception of the one interception, which um you kind of learn to live with. I feel like a little bit with Max every once in a while, he's going to have a head scratcher of a throw um, every once in a while um, kind of comes with it a little bit. It does. And I mean, if they actually let him throw the ball more, we're, we're probably going to see more of that too. Uh, something we've talked a little bit about off air, this receiving group's getting a lot of love, getting a lot of hype. There's a belief that they could be very deep there. Um and nobody was overwhelming. I mean, they really only played a half, the starters did. But Quentin Johnson had four catches. You know, Darius Davis got involved, Tate Barber, Jay, uh, Spielman, J.D. Spielman. Um, and even Marcel Brooks had a couple of receptions. So I, I know they're banking on a lot of potential there. Uh, you know, there's some exciting guys like Quincy Brown, Savion Williams, who we haven't really seen on the field. Uh do you do you buy into this, Matt? Do you believe this could be a position group that is a huge strength, where they legitimately have five or six guys who can who can make plays on the outside? I think it's yes, with a caveat. I think the caveat being a at at slot, can they stay healthy? Because I really like the group of guys that they have um, at, uh, at that they can that they can employ in in the slot receiver position with J.D. Spielman, with Tay Barber, with Darius Davis. Um, the problem is just that, like, all those guys were banged up at different points last year. Um, but if they're healthy and they can stay on the field, um, I think any one of those guys can be, um, uh, can be 
real big difference makers. Um, so that's the first caveat. The other caveat is like, can they find somebody on the opposite side from Quentin Johnston to kind of take some pressure off of him? Cause he's going to get doubled a lot this year um, because he's superhuman and, mm-hmm. uh, and absurd and great. Um, and so they need somebody who, when the other team double teams him, who's going to step up. Um, they targeted Savion Williams to your point a couple times early yesterday. Um, and I, and, and he, he made a couple nice catches. I think he's the guy who stands out the most is probably like the most ready to try and step into that. Um, and so I'll, I think he's, um, they need somebody, whether it's him, whether it's Quincy Brown, whether it's Marcel Brooks, um, they need somebody to step up in that other spot. Um, I think, uh, and if they can find somebody who can do that, and I think Savion's the most likely, um, then yeah, suddenly I become a lot more bullish, um, on the, on the receiver group. We also didn't see much from the tight ends yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another, that's an interesting wrinkle as well. Cause they do have some talent, um, there with, um, with some of the new guys that they brought in this off season with Spivey and with, um, uh, and with DJ, um, I think they could, um, make some plays there for sure. Yeah, I think Spivey had one catch, but he wasn't really a, a huge factor in the game. Um, turning to defense for a second, you know, they looked fine. They let Duquesne get over the top a few times. But overall, they're flying around making plays. In the first half, especially, they're very dominant. But I do wonder, Matt, so um, I, I won't go into a lot of detail because some of this information is behind a paywall. But our friends at 247 Sports have been discussing Noah Daniels and his absence. Um, you know, Gary sort of is, I don't know, noncommittal about it. It might be an injury issue, might be an off-the-field thing. Uh, but regardless, he didn't play. And, of course, Keon Stewart is also working himself back. Uh, I, I really thought going into the year, this could be the best position group on the team. Uh, but suddenly they look a little thin there. Now, C.J. Caesar, is, he has some experience. He struggled at times last year, um, but he has played. I just I'm concerned with inexperience at safety. If you're also not as good as you maybe thought at corner, that secondary suddenly looks a lot different if uh, if Noah Daniels is not a factor in the defense. So where do you kind of see him fitting in if he can find his way back in the lineup soon? Yeah, no, I think I think they were really banking on him coming back and being a real contributor because the in the you know he's been banged up for so much of his time at TCU but when he's been on the field he's been he's flashed um the the skill set and the athleticism to really make a difference at the position because he has such length and such and such speed but he's got good ball skills as well and so yeah you know in terms of the the why that's not really clear i mean i in terms of like stuff that's just out there that you can see just on the internet like you've seen if you if you follow him on twitter you've seen obviously that he's been um unhappy at different points this offseason um talking about you know uh, a lack of like all the players who he was close to are all gone and he doesn't feel like he's like all that you know doesn't necessarily feel like at home or part of the family kind of thing anymore so there's that dynamic I don't know how much of that plays into um other stuff that's going like other stuff that could be keeping him off the field 
he did have the spectacular suggestion of of uh, TCU enacting a instituting a turnover python earlier this earlier in the offseason so that was interesting um he said he has pet snakes and that he would bring them and they could just like have them on the sideline for when they uh, get turnovers which i actually think um i'm generally against the turnover props but i think that would be a fun one um but no yeah without him and without Keon is 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 a super is a, is a loss the good news for them to your point i think cj caesar um, last year got to, uh, got his trial by fire, which happens with the number two cornerback with Gary in Gary's defense. Every mm-hmm. single year we saw it with Kevin White, we saw it with Anthony Tejada, like, you know, you have the lockdown guy who it gets, who gets one-on-one all the time. Um, and so then the number two guy gets picked on a lot and he takes his lumps and about halfway through the season, he figures it out and suddenly becomes, uh, uh, you know, his, his game elevates in a big way. And I think we saw that late in the year for Caesar. Again, that was against some, some subpar competition as we got down the stretch, but I don't think, uh, I don't think you're starting uh, two corners are, are a worry. I think Caesar can hold up fine. And uh, obviously we've talked at length about Trey Hodges Tomlinson and just like what a, what a special player he is. So I think they're, I think they're, good there in terms of starting in terms of the starting two but yeah and if if Stewart's not coming back anytime soon and if Daniels is out for any length of time um your depth there is uh is concerning um obviously you've got some young guys there where that's Keontae Jenkins Amani Watkins um some of the, some of these younger guys who could come in um and and, and are certainly great athletes but like it's going to take them a minute to, to get their footing um and so that's that's concerning so just like with slot receiver we were talking about earlier like really hoping you stay healthy because you got talent there um but once those top guys um if they miss any time suddenly you get really thin i also want to go back just really quickly and, and address an, an error that made it's deandre rogers not dj i don't know why i call him dj i know that his name's deandre i don't know what that was it's 10 o'clock it's 10 20 eastern time on a sunday night uh so uh forgive me uh dedicated locked on listeners um for lowering the level of uh quality of steven's podcast well you didn't lower the level uh that sounds like a mistake i would make as well but anyway we'll we'll keep you around um yeah if there's two things i know about tcu football it's one whoever plays linebackers gonna have a million tackles <laughs> and if you have a young corner they're probably going to be bad or they're, they're going to struggle. But by the time they're a junior or senior, they're going to be a great player. And CJ Caesar could, you know, follow that path as well as anyone else. Um, final thing about the Duquesne game, just sort of an op- more open-ended question. Do you feel like you learned anything about this team on Saturday, Matt, uh, moving forward? Or was this just, you know, basically an exhibition against the, a team that, struggled to, to hang with TCU? I think I learned, we, we touched on this a little bit, but I, I learned that I, I should be a little bit more cautiously optimistic about the receiver group because we've been reading all this stuff all off season and, and Gary's been hyping them up. Um, but I was just like super skeptical. But as I said, like it was a super small sample size, but if they can stay healthy again with that group of Johnston and Barber and Davis and Spielman. And then if they can find just one, just one guy to kind of, you know, hold water um, at, uh, on the other side and the outside, um, I think that can be a really um, uh, a group that can do some good things for sure. And then the other aspect of it is on defense, just a couple things, you know, I think Jamoy Hodge in the limited time that he got 
um, was impressive at linebacker. Um, I think him and D Winters, if you can find a way to get them both on the field, that's a really um, fun and athletic duo. Um, and, uh, you know, TJ Carter and uh, Josh Foster and Bud Clark, you know, they're, you know, they need, they had some questions to answer at safety. And so far they look okay against not great team, but looking pretty good there so far. So aside from uh, the game that was played, I wanted to ask you about realignment has been fast and furious as of late. It looks like this week, maybe as early as today, uh, we could see an official invitation to BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston for the Big 12. Now, I mean, that's a good football conference, a really good basketball conference. I've been pretty meh on creating a souped-up version of the American as far as Big 12 expansion goes, but what are your initial thoughts on those four teams potentially joining the league, Matt? No, I mean, you're right. It's it's the best it's the best group of five teams that you can grab that make um, that makes some level of sense for the league. Um, but this is an answer that we could have had in 2016 too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like that, that, this, these have been the four schools that people have thrown out maybe with the addition of a Memphis or a USF or a Boise state, depending on who you're talking to and what year it is. Like that's been the group for most of the past decade when these expansion talks have come up. Um, so it's not a surprising group to your point. It's a good group. Honestly, a lot of the, uh, you know, all four of those teams at different points over the last four years or, or the last three years, um, or even for all of the past three years have been better than TCU in football for the last, for, for, for some of, if not a lot of, if not all of that time in UCF's case. So, um, so yeah, ups the quality of competition in terms of football. It doesn't really help the issue of your negotiating position when the rights deals are up in 2025. Um, those four teams do not uh, make you uh, increase your negotiating power and, and, and make it so that you're going to have a per team payout that um, is comparable to the other power leagues, which is the, which is the issue. Um, so I think I would not be surprised even if they do this expansion, if every team in the league is not still like keeping their ear to the ground and still looking for, possible other landing spots i will say the and i i, I said this in our uh in uh in a group text to pat jones and phil papadakis shout out to y'all um <laughs> this weekend the, honestly the thing i'm so tired of talking about the realignment thing the part of this that made it the most interesting is like oh wait hold on they're gonna be 12 teams again which means they can't do round robin so like what's their what's the scheduling yeah. gonna be like yeah. that's the interesting question to me are they gonna do pods are they gonna do, do divisions um you know how does that work out because now you're no longer gonna have the round robin and the rematch championship game, which is kind of a fun little wrinkle to think about rather than thinking of the impending um, doom of the conference. Sure. And I mean, the Big 12 North and South divisions worked really well, I think, in the past. Um, so they could bring that back. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I think it's a good conference. I agree with you. I don't really know how it moves the needle. Uh, but I guess as long as you keep your automatic qualifying status you'll be okay i know there's a ton of factors though with with the money situation the, if, go ahead go ahead yeah the the one in terms of the 
Well, two thoughts. One, the the one wild card in that group that I think is actually interesting in terms of the the negotiation piece for for uh, media rights is BYU because yeah. they have such a large and national fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like a little bit of a wild card to me. I don't. They're obviously not on the level of a Texas or an Oklahoma, um, but. Um, it is a unique kind of bargaining chip that you have in those negotiations. The other part of it to the AQ question. Yeah. This goes back to what we talked about the last time that you had me on, which is like, if you get an automatic bid as the conference champion, then like not having Oklahoma in the league actually like puts you in better position. But um, will you, when you get into that one game playoff scenario against an Alabama or Ohio state or Georgia, whoever, um, are you going to have the talent to kind of match up with them? And, um, as we said last, last time, like, I think, you know, you get a team that is loaded with seniors and like you hit the right point in the development cycle and you get a good, you know, you get some good breaks your way. Maybe that's, maybe that's something you can pull off, you know, maybe, uh, it, it would, it would have to be something like the 2009, 2010 teams where, um, you know, you just have that really like veteran team that's played together for a long time. That's well-developed that has some individual stars. Um, and you could do that, but, um, it's going to be more, comp- it, the difference of course, being that this version of the big 12 would be more competitive, far more competitive than that version of the mountain West was for sure. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. Two more things. One, um, TCU soccer got another win today. So congrats to them. They beat Pitt who is a top 20 team. Uh, Eric Bell killing it. They win one nothing, so they're five and zero. And next week, TC football plays Cal. Uh, honestly, Matt, I didn't watch any of the Cal Nevada game. I woke up this morning. I was just like, oh, let me check that score. Nevada won that football game. Yeah. Um, twenty-two to seventeen. Cal jumped out to a fourteen nothing lead, and then uh, Nevada just took over. So Cal's coming in zero and one. And I saw the line come out today. TCU's nine-point favorites, which I wouldn't have guessed that before the season. I thought this would be a pretty evenly matched game, and it still very well could be. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts, I guess, after seeing Cal go down um, last week as far as just kind of initial uh, thoughts about that matchup coming up on Saturday? Yeah, I think I would – it's one of those things where it's like, it's always like, do you, do you, do you wish that your opponent in week two, you wish for them to get embarrassed in their season opener against their, uh, in non-conference. Cause then I feel like they're almost more, uh, it's almost more incentive for them to get their act together heading into the mm-hmm. TCU game a little bit. Um, so that, that's one aspect of it that I a little worry about. The other thing that I think is concerning about, uh, about Cal as an opponent is defensively they're really good and particularly against the run which is so much of like what tcu wants to establish i think nevada had a 2.8 yard per carry average as a team on saturday which is uh um you know i know tcu's got a ton of talent um at running back and if zach evans plays the whole game then i think you're uh you know he's obviously super talented and and he's gonna break some but um that's the thing that's concerning to me is that if tcu can't get the run game going against cal um then um are they able to respond in another way um so that'll be where those receivers stepping up and max duggan stepping up as a passer um is going to matter a lot um i agree i think the nine point line seems high (laughs) um but that's based on a one game sample size of both teams 
um, with uh, and and with TCU one, their one game being against uh, being against Duquesne. So um, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if they cover, if they win by double digits, then uh, we're, we're feeling really good. Yeah, we're, we're feeling pretty good coming into next week. But uh, no, you're right. It's it's fascinating because now you have a Cal team that's just desperate coming in, um, trying not to go over two and playing well, and a two thirty kick, which will be intriguing. Obviously, it gets a little warm in California, but probably not Texas warm in September. So we'll see how that all plays out when these two teams play. Matt, thank you for getting us the home field apparel deal. And thank you for joining the podcast today. Um, We'll talk to you on Tuesday. This has been Locked On Horned Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.